vision starts and how to develop vision. That's what we've been uh, talking about. You, you received a little note-taking guide, and we're going to uh, kind of uh, zip along in this. Now, last week when we talked, we were looking at the very beginning of uh, Nehemiah, and this whole series is going to be just out of Nehemiah. But you remember, Nehemiah's brothers come to him from Babylon, or excuse me, come to him from Jerusalem to Babylon, where Nehemiah is, and uh, they tell them, it says, uh, I asked concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity in about Jerusalem. And it said, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. And uh, last week we talked about a couple of ideas. One of the ideas was vision starts with a conviction about how things ought to be. When Nehemiah heard this, that the gates were destroyed, that the place was open to any marauding band that wanted to come by, that, that the worship couldn't be held in a safe way, that they, when he saw that, he said, this is not right. Something deep in his spirit rose up. He said, this is not right. And uh, he wanted things to be different. That's the beginning of how vision starts. You know, God's wanting to give you a vision, uh, a vision for a call and a vision. I think some folks over on this side, yeah, vision for a call and a vision for ministry, a vision for, for even your time at Elam, one year, two year, three year. What is it God's speaking to you about? He wants to give you a vision even about those kinds of things. And it, be, it begins with this realization that grips your heart. What's it supposed to be like if everything was... Uh, as God desired it, if his kingdom came, if his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, what should my life look like? What should it be like? See, that's the, that's the beginning of vision. And then we also said in your notes, vision starts in those who want to care for and help people. We talked about this idea of compassion, the sympathetic awareness of another's distress and the desire to alleviate that distress. And uh, we talked about this whole idea that, that when God puts compassion in your heart, you see a need. Things need to be different. And you feel like, I've got to involve myself. I've got to give myself to this. That's, that's the beginning of vision. We, we threw around a, a simple vision last week. We talked about, uh, I'm in the hospital waiting room when a relative is having heart surgery. I see all the other people who are waiting uh, uh, in concern for their loved ones and no one ministering to them. And I think to myself, I could do that. And you feel this compassion, this heart. You'd love to be able to pray with these people when they're in this time of distress. And, and we talked about that. That could be the simple beginning of a vision, how it could happen in, in our lives. But how does division develop? And we're going to look here now, starting in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Vision develops through prayer. Okay, vision develops through prayer. It's kind of the first step. And I'm going to try to help, help you get a little clearer picture of this. When I heard these words, this is Nehemiah verse 4 now. When I heard these words, I sat down, this is right in your notes, and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, this whole idea of him weeping and fasting and praying before the God of heaven. A lot of us have this image of prayer, that prayer is like me, I, I, you know, I'm going into the zone somehow, you know, that, that you know, when I'm praying, uh, you know, he says he, he, he felt compassion, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I think this was a very authentic experience that he had. 
I think he heard about what was happening there. It was so compelling to him, so emotional. It, it, it moved him so much that he just found himself just turning to God. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like he was getting into like a, you know, you know kind of let me, I'm going to pray now, you know, and okay, here. No, he, he was so, he was, he was coming before God going, God, this cannot be right. God, there must be something that I could do. God, what needs to change in this situation? And he's, and he's fasting and he's praying. And I think he's doing more than just talking I, and saying, you know, pleading the case, so to speak. As a matter of fact, the passage goes on and tells us some of the things that he does. But I, I, I think one of the things he does is he gets out a pen and paper and he starts writing what he thinks is supposed to be. What, what is it that God is saying to him? What's supposed to be happening? And he's, he's writing some of these thoughts down. He's, he's thinking about this. I, I say this because later on in the story, when people begin to ask him questions about what, is go, what should happen next, he, he can tell them, this is what needs to happen next. And, this, and it's obvious that he has been thinking about this, and he's been writing his thoughts and, and putting it together, a plan together. And I think it happened during this time of fasting and prayer, something authentic, something that really moved him. And then it says, verse 5, I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses." Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, he says. Remember what you promised. If you are faithful, unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell." They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servant who, uh, servants who delight to revere your name and make your servants successful today. I love you. Praise for success. We're going to end today talking about that. Make your servants successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. He knew he was going to have to go to this king and present his case of, of doing something to help in Jerusalem. And so that's why he says, give me success today when I do this, when I step out in this kind of way. Okay, so let's look at this passage and see if we can see some, uh, just some thoughts, some steps here. First of all, we see this. First thing we do is we incubate the vision with prayer and fasting. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Uh, Genesis 1-2 says this, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving, or uh, uh, some translations would say it this way, the Spirit of God was brooding over the surface of the water. So, you know, we're at this time of the very beginning, the forming of the earth, 
And he says the Spirit of God is brooding like a hen over her chicks, brooding over this. And uh, Luke 2.19, it says, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. What's it talking about? It, it, it's talking about she, she receives these prophetic words, and she doesn't just throw them away. She holds on to these words, probably wrote them down someplace. She's pondering them in her heart. Okay? So we get this picture. Incubate the vision with prayer and fasting. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, brooding. I, was, I, I, I heard these things, and I, it was like, whoa, Lord. When the vision first comes to your heart, it's very precious, and it's also very fragile. You know, you, you need to be careful when the God first begins to speak something to you, not just to talk about it with people, just to bring it up and just kind of say, you know, uh, you know, what do you think about this idea or something like that? Because often vision is about things that have not happened before, and people will bring up to you the 10,000 reasons your idea cannot possibly happen, right? Because it's never happened before. They don't understand, you know, the, what God is speaking to you. They don't, they don't have the same unction that you do. And so if you bring up your idea at that very beginning time, the, the first thing to do is just carry it to the Lord in prayer. And come before him and ask the Lord questions. Begin to write some of your thoughts down. Begin to think about the vision, you know. Some of you need to have a vision for why you're here in school right now. You know, some of you, it was kind of like, you know, you know, what do you think? Okay, you know, that doesn't sound bad, you know. And, and, and you showed up, you know, and you're here, and it's like, you know, I don't quite really get it exactly, but, you know, it seems nice, people seem nice, seems good, you know. But God wants you to have so much more than that. You know, you have a destiny. Every person here God has something that he's wanting to do in and through your life. You are on a divine appointment. You know, you, you, th you think things have just been happening accidentally. It has not been accidentally at all. God has been working to corner you and to maneuver you and to shift you and to bring you to this moment. And some of you thought that you chose to come here, never realizing that it was really God who chose. You know, some of you bought into the idea of, uh, okay, I guess what I'm supposed to do is think about my future and... Uh, and think of what things are going to benefit me the best, and then I'll try and pick the, what I think is going to be the best future. And, this can, and, and somehow you did that, and you picked Elam. I don't know what you were thinking, but you picked Elam <laughs> right, to, to, to come to. But that's not it at all. Your future does not belong to you. Your future belongs to Jesus Christ. You have been bought with the blood of Christ. You cannot, you know, so, so, some people, you know, are like, you know, I can go where I want to go, do what I want to. You cannot go where you want to go. You cannot do what you want to do. Who knows, maybe someday you're going to be sitting here staring up at this map and the Spirit of God is going to come on your heart and he's going to say, go here. And you're going to be like, whoa, what, you know, I, I don't know anything about that, you know. Some of you are going to be going, you know, are there any guys there? Could I get a, you know, well, if I go there, I'll probably never get married or anything. You know what I mean? This is like crazy, right? And the Spirit of God is moving. He's working in your heart. And so you need to, you, you need to brood over this. You need to write some of these things down. You know, one thing about a vision is you can never give a vision away. 
All I can ever do is ask you to join me in my vision. Okay? I can never say, you know, hey, this is what needs to get done. Would you go do this? I can't do that. I can't give you, I can't give away. When the Lord spoke to Nehemiah, when Nehemiah got that tremendous rush when he's in the presence of the Lord and, and, and he hears about Jerusalem and he gets this tremendous rush, this tremendous sense that he's supposed to do something, he couldn't have turned around and said to his brother, hey, look, you see the need there. Why don't you do something? Right? He can't give it away. All he can do is look at other people and say to them, God has put something in my heart. Do you want to help me do it? Do you want to help me see this thing happen? You can never give vision away. All you can do is ask people to help you in it and stand with you there. Okay, second thing we see in our notes. Confidently bring the vision to God with awareness of his character and his attributes. Now, this, those of you that are new, this is a big deal because... You're going to be studying in theology classes and things like that about the, the character and the attributes of God. And you may think, well, what is, why is this so important? Because what you believe about God, what you believe about his character, what you believe about his abilities and power will, will completely affect everything you dare to do. You will not dare to do great things unless you serve a great God. You're not going to dare to, 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 you're not going to, when you fail, you're not going to be able to rise up unless you serve a forgiving God. See, unless you, unless, it's everything, it's what, this is why Jesus says, you know, it, they, they say, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, to believe on him whom he has sent. Why? Because what you believe about him affects everything and your ability to respond to him. So let's look at some of these things. So for, first he goes, he says, I beseech you, O Lord of heaven, you great and awesome God. Now he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem and coming up with a plan to basically rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It has not been able to happen for decades. It hasn't been able to. Other people have gone. No one has been able to do it. They're completely in bondage there. And yet he's got this vision that he's going to go do what nobody else has been capable of doing. And not just do it, but do it in weeks. Rebuild the whole walls of the city in weeks, six weeks. And um, it's, it's, it's like... Uh, it's like a crazy. It's like a crazy thing. I, th I think fifty-two days or something like this. He has this. This. Uh, this is what they, they they accomplish. So, so, so. What are the attributes and character of God? Okay, in your notes, just a couple of characteristics that you need to get your hand your uh, get a handle on. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere all the time. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Right? Now, some people read that and it's scary to them, threatening. Because they think to themselves, it's like he's everywhere. You know, he sees everything. Every stupid thing I've ever done. You know, but one of the other great qualities, great things about this is that God is everywhere, but that he is immediately available whenever and wherever 
you need him. And that's a, that's a big deal. I don't know if you've ever had the experience. You know, I, uh, I had shoulder surgery last week you, you knew about. And um, I, um, uh, I got this because I got hit by a, co- a truck, a Mack truck. When the accident was over, I was sitting, looking out the window of the car, up at the guy in the truck, you know, that hit me, kind of a thing. It was like smash, you know, everything else. Now, when you are in the process of getting hit by a Mack truck, usually there's a little cry that comes to your throat, right? Like, Jesus! You know, help me now! You know what I mean? So, you know, it's like the truck grabbing the back of the car, turning it around, smashing the side. I'm going, you know, Lord! Right? And what a fantastic thing it is when I am in the middle of a disastrous situation and I go, Lord! And his presence is immediately right there. He is am- when I yelled, Lord, it wasn't like he was going, you know, he was like, uh, he is everywhere all the time and he was immediately with me in the middle of a disastrous situation. I've got lots of stories to tell you. Tell you about my beaver attack. <laughs> you know, I can tell you one. I, I got, I got, as a matter of fact, people laugh sometimes because my life just is so weird. But, but I've had situation after situation, you know. I'm in a, in a kayak and a smiling beaver comes alongside of me. And leaps out of the water, seizes my arms. If you see this little dent in my arm, rips my, seizes my arm, flips my kayak upside down, and begins mauling me. In the, you know, it's like it couldn't have been any worse if I had been attacked by a bunny. You know what I mean? He's mauling me in the thing. And I'm telling you right there, you're getting mauled by a rabid beaver. You... You are crying out to God. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he is there. He is there. Okay? That's what this passage, that's what this passage says to us. He is there. I've got a lot of other stories to tell you, too. We'll, uh, we'll tell you. Okay, let, let's look at another one. Omniscience. God is all-knowing, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. The the way this really helps me is to know that God is never surprised by anything. This, I have to say, this is very helpful for me. I'm, I'm, I'm expressing these things now, not in theological terms. I'm expressing them to you in the way they actually work in my life, all right? When we say here, God is omniscient, the thing that really helps me with that is I realize that though I have been surprised in certain situations, that God was not surprised. That's a tremendous comfort to me, because I'm thinking, if he's not surprised, then there probably is a plan, right? He knows what's happening in this situation. I was shocked. I can't believe this has happened. You know, I remember when we were involved in building uh, the big uh, sanctuary over here, and uh, we had been working for years uh, raising money to pull this whole thing together and came down, we were building the building, came down, we were down, uh, the, my, my financial guy comes to me and he says, he says, well, 100,000 more and it's, it's all done. 
I said, you're kidding. No, he said, I said, 100,000 more, and he says, and we've, we've got this thing paid for. And I said, well, I'm going to believe God that we can raise that $100,000 to get this thing all done. So I call a meeting. I'm getting ready to leave for Africa. I call a meeting of all uh, the 100 uh, leader, top leaders, top givers, people in the church. I call this meeting with this 100 people, and I, or 100 families, and I say to them, I say, okay, here's, here's the deal. We are $100,000 away from, this is after raising a couple million, right? We are $100,000 away from finishing this thing off. Can we do this tonight? And everybody just rose as one man with me. They all committed. You know, not everybody can do the same thing. When you raise money, never think of it like, well, if there's 100, everybody gave $1,000, it's all paid. It never works like that because that's not the way money is distributed. Some people have more than other people. That's just the way it, it, the way it is. And so, but but people stepped up and gave some five thousand, some one thousand, some hundred. You know, they stepped up and gave. And by the end of that night, we had the hundred thousand dollars all taken care of. I was thrilled. I got on the plane to go to Africa, go away to Africa for two weeks, come back from the from the trip, and I get home, and my financial guy comes to me, and he says, "I made a mistake." I said, what do you mean you made a mistake? He said, we need another $180,000 to pay this thing off. Now, this is after I've just gone to all my top people, right? All the people who I could most count on, all the people, and told them we were all done. $100,000, we are all done. I just, you know, just, and now he says to me, we need $180 more thousand dollars. And I was, like, devastated. I was so discouraged, you know. I did the thing that I normally do when I get super discouraged. I went home and went to bed. And I just got in bed, middle of the day, you know, I just said, okay, I just, you know, I just give up. But the thing that held me during that time when I was so discouraged was remembering, well, wait a minute, I didn't know we were $180,000 short. But God knew we were $180,000 short. You know, who knows what he was thinking when I was telling everybody, you know, $104,000. You know, he's probably sitting up there going, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't think so, Dopey. You know what I mean? It's, you know, but, but I didn't know, but God knew. And so I was able to take strength and comfort from that, see. And I was able to go, okay, God knew, so God must have a plan. And we stepped forward, and God provided, and everything came together for us. And that building has been able to serve the school and Elam Fellowship and everybody since that time. Okay, here's another one. Omnipotence. God is all-powerful. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And this is just the simple reality that nothing is too big for God. Nothing is too big for God. I am all-powerful, right? How about this next one? Immutable. God is unchanging. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. God does not change. He's not like people that get moody and go up and down. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is stability plus. He never disappoints. Let me tell you one of the ways this affects me, just a very practical way, because it affects my worship life. You know, a lot of people approach worship as if it were rooted in their emotions. What I mean is this. They come into, you know, here we have chapel on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. We come into chapel, and maybe I'm discouraged about something. 
And so I say, because I am discouraged, because I am discouraged, I'm not going to worship. I'm just, I'm just, I just can't do it. As a matter of fact, if I were to lift my hands right now, it would be hypocrisy. Because I don't really feel it, therefore, I'm not going to do it. That would be hypocritical if I did something I didn't feel. Now, this is all totally a misunderstanding of the truths related to this. In this, is God worthy to be praised? Is he, has he changed at all? Right. So when I praise the Lord, it says nothing about me. You might see me over here dancing and throwing my hands in the air and, and praising God. And you, by looking at that, you know nothing about what's going on inside of me emotionally. Because when I come in to worship the Lord, I command my soul. See, your soul, you know, we, we, you, you hear the idea of body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is where your emotions dwell. Your soul is the two-year-old brat that lives inside of you. That's what your soul is. This is why David says to his soul, he, he, he speaks to his soul and he says, Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. He tells his soul off. He's not going to let it, because the soul is going, oh, I don't want to bless the Lord. I don't want to we, we, we did family pictures yesterday. My family's here for a few months, and, and we're all together, so we decided we'd do family pictures. You know, we, we have eight grandchildren, seven and under. You ever try to get them all smiling at one time? Woo, baby. You know, all these little, you know, but come on, Hollywood, dancing, oh, smile, you know, really like going crazy. And, 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 you know, and one of them's going, you know, and come on, come on. You know, one of them's looking over here. <laughs> Come on, look over here, look over here. I don't. His little soul, see? His little soul is telling him, you know, they may be doing family pictures, but I'm not doing family pictures. They're doing... <laughs> I'm looking over here. Right? See? And that's just, you have a soul just like that inside of you. And if you don't learn that God is unchangeable, and because he is unchangeable, I have to change. That's the one thing. See, once you deal with something that's unchangeable, I want you to realize if God is unchangeable, that means everything else has to change, including you. Right? If God is unchangeable, right? if he was changeable, then you could go, no, you're just going to have to adjust God. But God would look at you and he would say, I can't adjust. I'm unchangeable. I'm always the same. All the time. So if anybody's going to be adjusting around here, guess who it is? Right? You're going to be the one that has to adjust. Because I'm always the same all the time. I'm always am. And so when we come into worship, right? When you come in here, if you lift your hands and praise the Lord and you're feeling bad, that doesn't show you're a, hypoc you're a hypocrite. That shows that you're standing in the truth. The truth. What is the truth? The truth is that God never changes. God is always worthy to be praised. And the fact is, if everything was going wrong in my life, that day, the worst day of my life, God is still worthy to be praised. I praise him. I worship him. I lift my hands. I have to change. I can't expect him to change. He's, he's immutable. And, and uh, God is holy, holy. God is separate 
from all sin. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. He's different from us. God is righteous. God always does what is right. This is what it says. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Now, this is a tremendous help to me, this one. God is righteous. He always does what's right. Now, let me give you an illustration of when, of when this comes through for me, right? So let's say I'm in a situation and my, someone I love dies. But I'm not sure that person is saved, right? And I think to myself, okay, here this dear one that I love, maybe it's a mother, maybe it's a father, maybe it's a close friend or relative. This person dies, and I'm not, and I think to myself, they, they're going to spend eternity in hell, right? And I think, well, that's more than I can bear. I can't bear that idea. I can't bear that thought. This is where this one helps me, because I trust in the righteousness of God. That is, that everything he does is right, and so I can look at the situation with my mother and I can say, I can say, I don't know what the future holds for my mother. Who knows? Who, who, who of us can tell what somebody does in the last moments of their life or how they might reach out to God in some way or, or maybe, maybe even my own misunderstandings about salvation? Who can tell? I can, but I know this. God is righteous. I trust in that. And I know whatever he does with my mother when I stand before him in eternity, I will look at it and I will go, that was right. That was the right thing to do. I can't tell you how many times that has helped me so much. To know that what God does is always, he will do the right thing. I don't know. How many of you always know what the right thing to do is? I don't going to say, come, come talk to me. <laughs> okay? I don't know what the right thing to do is, but God is righteous. That means he always does the right thing. And so when I'm confused about something, I think, why did this happen? You know, maybe, maybe somebody dies, you know, or, you know, back some years ago, they had this tremendous tidal wave that came. 100,000 people lost their lives. It was almost beyond comprehension what, what happened. And the thing that would hold me in a time like that is I would say, well, I don't understand what's going on here, but I know this, God is righteous, and he will always do the right things. And that when someday, when I'm with him in eternity, and I know everything that he knows, when I can see it the way he sees it, I'll look at it and I'll go, you were right. What you did was right. I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't know what was happening, but what you did was right. God is righteous, okay? Uh, God is good. God loves and cares and gives to undeserving people. Thank God for that. And God is true. God is genuine, real, faithful, and complete. You can count on him. God is not a rubber crutch. He is true. You're not going to lean on him and have him break. He is true. It will come through. Okay, Look at this next one. Remove all obstacles to hearing from God by confessing any sin in your life or the lives of those you are trying to help. And uh, here we see a very simple idea, and that is, and you can imagine this, right? Before you can really be used from God, you've got to deal with whatever the wreckage is in your own life. 
Now, I think most of us would say that was pretty obvious, right? That I need to stop and say, okay, is there anything in me that's messed up? Any, anything that I need to confess or anything I need to, I think most of us are there. But he goes on in the passage and he says something even more powerful. He says this, you also need to confess for those that you're concerned about. He says you have to identify with them. You have to identify with them. So how do I confess with those that I'm, those I'm concerned about? So let's say, for example, I'm, pr- I'm burdened for America. I'm praying for America, right? Now, I've never been involved, for example, in an abortion. I've, stood, I've, been, I've gone to jail opposing abortion, okay? But I've never been involved in an abortion. But when I pray for the country, I, I can come before God and say, Lord, we as a nation have committed abortion. And we have brought this terrible judgment, causing our children to pass through the fire, so to speak, the different idolatries of the Old Testament. We've we've offered our children on the altar of convenience. And I can pray this prayer because I'm identifying with the people I'm concerned about, right? And you can pray that you can identify. That's what's called standing in the gap is when I pray for them as if I were them. I identify with them and I pray for them as if I were them in that situation. It's another kind of prayer that's uh, very powerful. And then uh, D in your notes, ask yourself what you know about God and his promises that convinces you that he wants his vision in your heart to be fulfilled. That is, every, everything that God gives you will have promises in his word that you can tag along and put. So if God gives you a vision, for, for example, let's say in your own life, God gives you a vision and, and his vision, your vision is that you are going to, maybe you've been a mediocre student in school up to this time and, and this kind of thing, but you are going to commit yourself and you, are, you want to excel. You don't want to just survive. You want to excel here at school. And God's given you this vision. I want to learn everything that you've brought me here to learn, Lord. I want to, you know, and, and so you, you find scriptures that might, that you can grab a hold of that echo that idea. For example, maybe one might be, study to show thyself approved of God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. What, what might be another verse that you might get that might challenge you to, uh, to press in and to do your very best. How about, how about do your work heartily, speaking now of your homework, as unto the Lord, not pleasing men, but pleasing God. Don't, you're not looking to the grade, you're looking to say, I'm doing this homework as unto Jesus Christ. And you begin to find different scriptures that reinforce the vision that you have, the dream that you have that's in your heart. And then you pray those scriptures, and you can see in this passage where Nehemiah does that. And then finally, last of all, as we just end our time, Verse 11, he says, O Lord, I beseech you, may your heart be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. We're talking about going before the king. Make your servant successful today. Some people think that they shouldn't pray for their success, that somehow maybe that's like, um, it's like being too self-centered or self-motivated or, you know, too, too much focused on yourself. But that's not what Nehemiah does. When you have given yourself over to the purposes of God 
and you've said to the Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. And he gives you a dream of something. You should get up in the morning while you're here at Elam and you should say, God, give me success this day. Right? You sent me here. I'm here for your purposes. I'm here to become the man or the woman that you want me to be. I'm here to do what... Lord, give me success this day. I, I, don't, I, I, wanna, I, I want all and the best that you have for me. Give me success this day, Lord. I want to I do it, right? Not because you're anything special, but because you've given your life into the hands of God and you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to just survive. I don't want to just drop. Give me success this day. Let's all stand to our feet. Can we do that? Would you pray that right now? Just say, Give me success this day. Would you pray that prayer? Say it right now. Give me success this day. Do it again. Give me success this day. Now you can pray that with real faith. Listen to me now. You can pray that with real faith if you have surrendered your life to the Lord. If you've said to the Lord, Lord, okay, here I am. I'm giving it all to you. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be what you want me to be. My life is not my own. I've been bought with the price of Jesus Christ. I, I, right now, I'm feeling I'm, I'm supposed to be here at school in preparation. Give me success this day, Lord. That I can fulfill the destiny that I can fulfill the calling, that I can fulfill the mission, that I can fulfill the purpose that you've put into my life. Give me success this day, Lord. Give me success, God. Give me success, not because I'm worthy, but because you are worthy, and I have given you all of my life for whatever you want it to do. Give me success this day. Pray it now. Give me success this day. Pray it with all of your heart. Give me success this day. Give me success this day. Lord, I pray that for every person here right now, God, that you would give them favor, that you would give them success because their lives have been placed in your hands, that there is nowhere that they will not go, that there is nothing that they will not do. Their lives have been put there. And so they say to you unashamedly, they look at you boldly right now and they say, give me success this day because I want to live my life 100% for you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's applaud the Lord. He's worthy to be praised. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. Every day, all the time, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. Give me success this day, Lord. Give me success this day. You are worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Have a great lunch. Bless you.